This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming from Washington, a founder of the B Podcast Network and author of the book School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Blaine, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads, which, by the way, we actually have in our family. So that's a, <laughs> a really wonderful thing. Jethro, Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan education dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force. We do this through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Hey there, Jethro. Hello, Fred. So good to see you. Yes, yes. Another week, another podcast. Here we are. That's right. What has been going on in your world lately? We haven't done an update for a while. Yeah, we haven't done an update for a while. Trying to nail down a possible visit to Illinois, but definitely getting the uh, gears rolling for PPI out in Boise. I had my pronunciation corrected there a few years ago. So, How did you uh, used to say it? Boise. (laughs) Boise was how I used to say it. It's Boise, apparently. Yes. 
I don't know why you'd say it any other way, but <laughs> well, you're from that neck of the woods, so <laughs> <laughs> things make sense to you out there that don't make yeah. sense here. So, uh, which is true of so many different topics. But in any case, uh, <laughs> that's coming up in actually almost exactly a month, a uh, little bit less than a month now. Um, and of course, hopefully, you're going to be able to join me. We'll do some recording, get some stuff in the can for the Cybertraps podcast. And then I'm starting to hear the first glimmers of your old stomping ground, uh, Anchorage and Asti. Excellent. And that is shaping up. So I, yeah, that'll be around my, actually, it'll be directly on my birthday in February. And yeah. uh, doing four presentations up there, starting to give some thought as to uh, what topics will make sense for folks. Um, you know, the great thing about doing this podcast with you is I can just kind of scroll down the show list and say, oh, did love that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And going to Alaska in February is one of the simple pleasures in life. So, <laughs> well, you have to be simple to find it a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. But perhaps you'll uh, come back up and uh, hang out for a little bit uh, then as well. Yeah, that would be nice if we can make that work. Um, I do, Excellent. I do love and miss Alaska. Um, some up, updates with me. Um, I think people. I think I mentioned it on this show that I started with a company called Ed Elements, and mm -hmm. that's been going really well. And we do a lot of work around the country in many different areas with state departments, with districts, with schools, and it's been. It's been good. So I'm heading down to Utah next week to visit a bunch of districts and looking forward to that. And then excellent. coming up in October, I'm doing a webinar series with the Association of Washington School Principals on my book, How to Be a Transformative Principal. So that will be a fun engagement and I'm looking forward to that. And um, it's going to be neat uh, working with all these principals here locally because I'm here and like I can go out and meet them in person too. So, um, so that'll be good. It's going to be you know all online once a right. week for an hour, but it it should be a pretty fun thing to do. And I'm looking forward to taking people through that uh, through that little walk, and that should be a good opportunity. Well, that's. Interesting, actually, Jethro. I'm going to make a note in our calendar here, maybe at the end of October, to do a recap with you uh, yeah. on the webinar series and uh, tell us a little bit more about what you learn when you go out and talk to people. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Okay. Well, what are we talking about today? Well, you know that uh, pretty much on a daily basis, I'm digging through the headlines looking for relevant information. And this is something that popped up about uh, three weeks ago. And uh, the New York Times ran this article about how the Apple Watch is becoming the must-have accessory for the five-year-old set at least here in New York City. So I thought that at the very least, we could poke some fun at New York while we talk about this particular topic. That is always fun. It is always fun. And, and I never want to lose that ability. But <laughs> there's a real story there. If we, if we take away the Apple fanboy piece of this, it is absolutely clear that smartwatches are a huge and growing sector of the technology you know, industry. And they're really targeting kids. And you know, just as an aside, by the way, you and I have talked repeatedly about how one of the ongoing goals of 
every tech company is to get the kids, right? Yeah. You want to you wanna get them hooked early. We'll talk a little bit about brand identification later in the show. But, you know, kids love technology. They are very good at getting their parents to buy technology. So tech companies know that if they can figure out how to appeal to both the concerns of parents and the interests of kids, they can mint money. And that's what a lot of these companies seem to be doing. And, you know, you and I were talking about how, you know, Apple watches have only existed for seven years, remarkably enough, yeah. you know, because Apple was doing its usual, we have to make the perfect device before we release the <laughs> yeah. thing. <laughs> and so, you know, they entered the smartwatch market well after, you know, Garmin or who are some of the others that had Fitbit at that point. Well, the Fitbit, you know, that was, yeah, we can, we can debate the, uh, the wordplay between fitness tracker and smartwatch. You know, when did Fitbit become smart? Who knows? But yeah. in any case, the, the point being that um, there's a real effort, you know, by Apple to persuade people that its products are not too ridiculously outrageously expensive to put on the wrist of elementary school children. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you agree with that, unfortunately we have links or, or names of other less costly options. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to talk about whether or not your elementary age child should be wearing a smartwatch. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is the, <clears throat> excuse me, the smartwatch is really like the epitome of technology as most of us think of it. That aside from a little thing that pops up off of your wrist, which would probably come from your smartwatch anyway, it is the the quintessential like futuristic way that you can do everything from this little watch on your wrist. And and that's the the vision and idea that a lot of us have that even if it went to a holographic display, it would still probably be on your wrist or something like that. <clears throat> Short of embedding devices in our skin, which I've seen a couple articles about that, and that might be something we eventually talk about, but we're not quite 2020, there yet. 2024, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, so I think we all have this romantic idea of being of having a really smart device on our wrist and 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 now it's becoming more and more accessible because the technology is catching up the price is coming down and it to be honest in some ways it does make sense and one of mm -hmm. the key things here is a change in culture from when you and I were kids where we could go outside and play until the light street lights came on and then we needed to come home um to now so that's very generous of you to yeah. me. did you have street lights back then i can't remember <laughs> well you know they were coming in and you know when they got rid of the gas lights Jethro. yeah <laughs> so, when when the old man goes around and lights them with a torch then then that's when you come home okay yeah all right so we used to not be connected at all and now it is very rare for any kids to not be under constant supervision of their parents or a nanny or a teacher or somebody kids do not have free time like they used to have back in the quote unquote good old days <laughs> <laughs> i love that subtle emphasis on old that's great um no that's absolutely true and and 
so much of this is cultural, but it's also technological, right? Because mm-hmm. when you're talking about the efficacy of these devices as a parenting tool, one of the things that really makes them work is the fact that increasingly you don't have to be tethered to a smartphone in order for your smartwatch to communicate. And yeah. that's a huge step. And of course, you know, one of the reasons that the New York Times would be all over this is because in an urban environment, especially, you know, there's, as I can see 30 of them from my window here, you know, so you're always able to connect to a network and that makes a smartwatch a practical thing. Now, out in the wilds of Washington state, you know, I would wild. imagine that there are going to be places where, you know, the coverage is a little thinner And so a smartwatch may not make sense. And then of course, there's other cultural reasons why it may not make sense as well. But in any case, what we're seeing with these smartwatches that makes them work in in, probably the bulk of the United States is the fact that they can be independent network devices. And so you don't actually have to worry about your kid carrying both a smartwatch and a phone. You know, when a phone has all of its own issues, they can just have the smartwatch and parents can still get in touch with them. Yeah. And and so kids start getting phones because the parents wanted to get in touch with them and know where they were and know sure. how to update them on different things. And so now, because the smartwatches became so powerful, parents some parents are saying, well, I don't really need that whole thing for my kid to have that whole thing all the time. So maybe they can have something that is more simple. So you could either get them a flip phone or some other kind of dumb phone, or you could get them a watch. And a a kid is, it, if you can strap something onto your kid, you're much more confident that they're not going to lose it also. <laughs> and that is just a reality, you know, really? like the idea sure. of a kid losing a phone because they're just not thinking about it is very real. But if you can strap it onto their wrist and they can leave it on, then you know it's going to come home at the end of the day as well. With well, them. reasonably certain. Reasonably, yes. Much better <laughs> well, than, than a phone right. they don't really care about. Okay, so you've given us the first selling point. You Put yourself in the position of a smartwatch vendor. What other things are you going to tell parents make sense about a smartwatch? Well, number one is it's less distraction than a phone. And so... The kid's not going to be constantly doing stuff on it, though there are games for for watches, and some of them are actually fun. The other two big things is that you can always get in touch with them, and you can know where they're at all the time. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that um, parents are afraid their kids are going to get lost or kidnapped or abducted or whatever. And so with this smartwatch then you can know their location uh, via GPS coordinates <laughs> on a map whenever you want to see where your kid is. Or, you know, and, and having read a lot of different spy novels and just having that kind of twisted mind anyway, if the watch stops moving in a weird location, you yeah. know something might be wrong. You yes. Know? In an ideal world or in a best case scenario, your kid has dropped it because you know, they get distracted or it's just an accident. But if you've got some kind of threatening situation and the perpetrator is smart enough to recognize the smartwatch and take it off, that in and of itself is a signal, you know, that something needs to be looked into. Yeah. 
Um, I think another thing is that uh, you can, if you don't want to uh, be sending your kid messages all day long, you can, or if you don't want them to have to call you when they get home, like it used to be the case, you can set up geofence alerts so that when they get home, they get a notification or when they get home, you get a notification that they're home. And so like, don't forget to do your homework, Timmy, is one thing that you could put on there when they arrive well, home. Could- they right. get that notification. Could, and you could set up Alexa to send the notification. That's right. <laughs> but it, ex- before we go on, why don't you explain the concept of geofencing? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so when you cross a certain uh, threshold of location, uh, then you something happens and it triggers something. And so, for example, um, I had a um, I had a boss one time who thought that I was coming in late to work every day. And I wasn't, and I'm not gonna like do something to keep track of that. So I set up a geofence at my work that showed what time I got there every single day, because I wouldn't always go into the office to check in. I would go other places and do other things. And so with my smartwatch, I just said, whenever I get to this location, trigger this, and it'll keep a log. Um, and so I could then show him, look, here's the log that I've been doing, and here's how it works, and. Every day when I get here, if I'm not here in the office, I'm out and about doing stuff. And you can you can see that I'm like out on the floor or at um, in the back getting stuff ready to go out on the trucks or whatever. And and that's a way to ensure that, yes, I'm physically here and and I'm at work, even if I haven't signed the little thing yet saying I'm here because I just need to get started on whatever I need to do. Yeah, no, I use a similar concept, actually, because I do a fair amount of work at the NYPL. And so I have it set up that the minute I get to the NYPL, my phone goes silent. All notifications get turned off. It just you go into what Apple calls focus mode, but it's triggered by walking past those great lions uh, on Fifth Avenue. So. Um, it's, yeah, it's a really cool feature. And, and for parents, the great thing about it is you can set up geofencing from multiple locations. So if your kid, for instance, if it's okay that they go to certain friends' houses, you'll get an alert when they go to that particular location or to a family member or something like that. Whatever area circles you create can generate that kind of notification. Yeah. And those different things can happen with those geofences that like you mentioned you can go into a focus mode but you can also limit notifications from certain contacts you can mm-hmm. um, unlimit notifications from other contacts and things like that that makes it so that they can um, you know be focused especially like when they're in school or something like that which is I think one of the great um, inventions are those focus modes it's oh. so so handy yeah Yeah, well and and when i go running it's it's wonderful because automatically the minute i turn on my stopwatch exactly the same thing you know there's a fitness focus mode and so you're not getting news alerts or notifications or anything while you're out running it's it's a real treat yeah yep well Um, those are good things so case closed right in terms of smartwatch (laughs) piece of cake don't need to worry about it at all (laughs) oh come on bye 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 (laughs) <laughs> we would not be doing our job if we did not raise at least yes. a few concerns that pop up with these devices. Yeah, and I I think the first one that uh, everybody can can see is that there's a cost issue with it, right? Yeah, that there, absolutely. 
it costs money. It's a monthly thing as well, typically as a as a um, as an initial cost, and so that's something that you've got to think about. Uh, and then it that ties into whether or not it's durable, um, and if it can withstand what kids do to everything they touch. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. If you look in the show notes for this particular episode. I just, I chose four different models that seem to pop up a fair amount in terms of the review articles, and all of those are in the show notes as well. But if you're buying something that's tied to a particular cellular network, like, uh, for instance, the Verizon Gizmo watch, that's going to be less expensive because the cellular company is going to underwrite the cost of that uh, to some degree. And, you know, the thing you're referring to in terms of the monthly cost, that actually uh, applies to whether or not the watch does, in fact, have cellular connectivity, because if it does, which is really the selling point of not needing a phone as well as the watch, then it's a phone line. And so one way or the other, you need to pay for that phone line. Now, a lot of the cellular companies offer family plans. I know we do this with uh, one of our kids and his girlfriend, and they've got a couple of roommates, but we do an AT&T family plan. And so, you know, adding a line to that isn't really that expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you get like five lines or something like that for some of these family plans. So theoretically, you can add a smartwatch telephone number. It's sort of weird to call it a telephone number, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you, can, <laughs> you can add a mobile number uh, to your family plan without necessarily increasing the cost. But if you're at your limit, then, yeah, you're going to have to pay a monthly fee to give connectivity to the device. So you really do need to think carefully about what the potential costs are. And obviously, if you're starting to look at some of these, even the highly regarded TikTok 4, which came up in multiple articles, you know, it's basically 200 bucks, you know, for a smartwatch. That's not cheap. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the what's funny is that the most popular one is the Apple Watch, which is the most expensive of all of them. And so... Yeah, although to be fair, it's mostly teenagers who yeah. are driving that market. You know, we can laugh about the five-year-olds in New York City getting Apple Watches, but it's a really small percentage of the Apple or of the smartwatch you know, market. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting because it, those, uh, status symbol pieces mean something to kids also. And they do. Sure. And, and so that starts at a very young age. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. I, one of the things you brought up before is this brand capture idea that, um, Verizon, mm -hmm. you know, they want, families on their network obviously right and oh and apple apple and, wants to get you in the ecosystem yeah and and to be honest there are there are things that are you know even my my high school daughter who did not have a phone until just uh, about a month ago um when we finally got her one she so she was communicating through google hangouts and through uh, Apple iMessage chats, you know, with different people. And she didn't have an, a phone number yet, so she couldn't do, like, mm -hmm. these group things. But right. it, now that she does, and she does have an old iPhone that I passed down to her, she has noted how it's annoying that you can't change your group name if somebody is not 
if not everybody is on an Apple device. But if everybody is, then you're going through the iMessage protocol and and you can change the group name and the picture and all this kind of stuff. And mm. it's something that like that that brand capture and that lock in, it, it's a real thing because she's not gonna want to go to something where you can't change those group names and because we don't let her have other social networking apps like WhatsApp, for example, then she doesn't know that you can do that in those other things. Um, but that's something where, you know, it, so she's the, clearly not listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, she will now. She'll be like, "Wait a minute, Dad. You said <laughs> you spilled the tea, Dad." I guess. <laughs> so you know, that's a that's an important thing too, and it's something that. Yeah they all want them to to get locked into that and the one of the challenges with these kids specific um apps like pinwheel or uh gizmo or uh i forgot the other one that i was thinking of i i can't remember but there's another one that's very kids so gab wireless that's the other one um those are very kids specific and so once kids get older they want to graduate to a real phone and they lose out on that market and that's a real uh, mm-hmm. sustainability issue for them as well because all these other companies are saying we provide the services for the adults and we want to get the kids as young as possible. Absolutely right. So it's this concept of vertical integration, right? Yeah. So Apple knows if they come out with a less expensive SE model, quote unquote, less expensive, <laughs> I mean, it's all relative. Yeah. Um, that graduation process that you're talking about is already mapped out, mm-hmm. right? From the five-year-olds to the 60-year-olds, it's very clear. You just kind of move on up. And yeah, that's, that's a, I think that it, it's an interesting issue because, as you say, kids really pick up on this stuff at a super early age, you know, mm-hmm. way back when. I remember, you know, the question, did you have a Sony Walkman? Did you have a, a less expensive, you know, cassette player? whatever it may have been, there's, there's always these status battles. Um, yeah. and, and we can put a pin in, you know, this idea of school uniforms versus fashion clothing and all the rest of it. That's that same debate, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the other things that we need to think about with this is there are uh, there's safety issues and like just plain etiquette issues. And So like when you have a phone number, then you become open to spam text messages and spam phone calls that is do exist in, you know, iMessages or Google or whatever the the case may be. But they're they're a little more challenging to get in those situations, but definitely very much available um, on phone calls. And I've been getting a bunch of spam messages recently that say things like, hey, are you available for dinner tonight or something like that? And it's an unknown number of somebody I don't know. And I know enough to to not engage with that and to just delete it. Um, but other, like your kids, may not know. And so they may think, they may want to interact and say, who's this? And the person, you know, could then have a conversation with them. And it's best to just not engage in those situations and to just, you know, ignore it and pretend like you never got it. Right. Well, this is where we get around to this issue of whether or not, you know, the parent sense of the maturity and the development of the child, because it's while parents have their own reasons for uh, 
urging kids or not maybe urging is the right word, but pushing technology on kids because they're concerned about their safety or what have you. Parents also need to think about whether or not the child is capable of understanding some of these safety issues, some of these etiquette issues, uh, if they're going to be using the device. So for instance, one of the things that, that I've written about in a, a variety of contexts is this idea of distracted walking. And it's become a real thing to the point where the National Transportation Safety Board is starting to keep statistics on people who have gotten injured because they stumble over things while they're looking at their phones or they walk into traffic or what have you. And given the fact that any digital device is inherently distracting, it's important for kids to understand the real risks they face if they're not paying attention to where they're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that definitely is a real thing, especially riding a bike or a skateboard, by the way. Oh, oh yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> not to mention driving. So when kids get that old. So the other thing I think um, that is important is talking about when it's appropriate to take a phone call, what you do when you do take a phone call, that you excuse yourself from the conversation and teaching your kids these things is, is important. And this is where it comes into schools as well. Um, I, the other thing that's been interesting as a school principal, my, my thought was always, Parents shouldn't be texting their kids at school. They should understand they're in school. And now that my daughter has a phone, I'm like, I, I'm texting her all the time. <laughs> it's like, I, so the true confessions page is, <laughs> I know it's crazy. And, and she's texting me also. And I know she's texting her friends and I don't know what the cell phone policy is at the school, to be honest. And they haven't, you know, explained that to us as parents. And so, you know, in the absence of that, uh, I'm going to prioritize my relationship and communication with my daughter and and not worry about what those what the school's policy is um, until she gets in trouble for it at some point, And then I'll probably know <laughs> what it is. So have you had the throwing under the bus talk with your daughter? <laughs> <laughs> no, she will experience it firsthand. <laughs> oh, lucky kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that, that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, as technology has become more pervasive, one of the inevitable consequences of that is that our sense of etiquette has mm -hmm. shifted, right? And I think that, you know, slowly and steadily, people are becoming more accepting of people always having their devices with them. Um, maybe partly because of the pandemic, there's an expectation that there's more electronic communication so on and so forth. I, I find people generally more accepting of those kinds of interruptions, you know, even on a face-to-face -face basis. Yeah. That being said, you know, it is important to at least remind children that they should be concentrating on the people that they're with uh, instead of their devices, just as a matter of basic courtesy and socialization for that. Yes. Yep, exactly. And that's something that is a you know, a constant reminder that needs to happen, even with adults, to be honest. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the last thing that I think we should talk about is the privacy aspect of this and, um, and, and understanding the privacy implications of giving your child a smartwatch. And specifically, 
with a watch, you it's different than a phone. And w one of the main selling points is that you can track your kids. And so we have talked numerous times about kids knowing if you are tracking or watching yes. what they're doing. Yes. And this, I think, is really important. And you need to talk about it openly and discuss what it is that you're doing, what you're using it for, and make sure that they understand that, you know, basically anytime you have this watch on, I can know exactly where you are. And some some watches even allow the parent to turn on a microphone and hear what's going on without notifying um, anybody in the room. It just turns on. And that's something that you you need to tell your kids about and let them know that that's what's going on. Uh, we think from an ethical standpoint, that is the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Jethro. And I know that we've talked about this repeatedly and, and you're absolutely correct. This is at its core, a, a piece of parental ethics. You know, we talk yeah. about cyber ethics, you know, as a topic, and obviously we're working on this organization, but it, it spills over into a variety of different fields and parenting is one of them. And so, you know, I think that the risk, and, and I do feel strongly about this as well, is that if we are doing hidden surveillance on our kids, then what we're basically training them for is to be hiddenly surveilled. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has a whole range of social issues attached with it, none of which, frankly, are all that good. So I think that if you have these conversations with your children, gives them an understanding of the balance that the parent is trying to strike between their concerns for the safety of their child and their respect for the child mm -hmm. as an individual. And that's, that's a big piece because I think that every child deserves to feel respected. And obviously, you, you know, as they get older, they can earn more respect in different ways. One of the interesting questions that's actually come up in some of my family conversations is when do you ease up on that? You know, mm -hmm. obviously, as kids get older, they're going to naturally want more privacy. But, you know, for instance, my sister just had her twin daughters go off to college, uh, roughly 700 miles apart, one in Virginia, one in South Carolina. Wow. And yeah, there it's actually interestingly the first this month is the first time they haven't shared a room since they were kids. So wow. that's that's really <laughs> significant in and of itself. But but my sister put in place um, kind of parental tracking when they were in high school because they were runners, soccer players, they would go out and do different things, and she really wanted to know where they were and be sure that they were safe and. My understanding is that she hasn't turned that feature off yet. Yeah. Um, even though these young women are both adults and they're off at college and, you know, just sort of thinking back on it, there would have been times when I would not have wanted my parents to be tracking my activities in college. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that's, I think, a real a real consideration. And I, I would guess at this point, because my sister's perfectly open about it, that that the kids don't mind. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I would expect they would, right? Yeah. So like the 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 Apple ecosystem has this find my friends, and I'm sure that everything, every other system has one similar to that, where you can share your location on a regular basis. 
And what's so fascinating about that is that so many people share their location in so many ways already. Mm. And so it's kind of like not that big a deal that your mom knows where you are, for example, and especially as you become an adult. Um, And so what's interesting is that because you are growing up with this idea that your mom always knows where you are, then you're probably not going to think twice about it and probably not going to change your behavior very much because your mom's always known right where you are. And what I find interesting is that there could be some people who uh, could be very concerned if somebody doesn't know where they are and that Mm. that could start causing them some anxiety because they're, you know, their mom doesn't know where they're at at all times. And that, that's just an interesting little thought experiment to, to think about. I, the other, I I think, yeah, my, my only response to that, I think it is actually a fascinating discussion and thought experiment to have. I guess really the, the, the simplest answer is, is, is if that is a conversation that two people have had and there's agreement on the activity and the supervision, then, you know, there's no real issue there. It's just a question of, you know, if, and again, this is a thought experiment, but if if one of these young women said to my sister, can you turn that off? And my sister was reluctant to do so, that that's when you start to see the potential problem. Exactly. And, and reading into what does that mean that my daughter wants me to stop tracking her? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly right. There's, there's a lot of different things that spill out of that for sure. Yeah. So the other thing is you as a parent need to have a great amount of trust on um, in the company that you're going with for the smartwatch because they are going to have all of your child's location data for as long as they have had that watch. So they'll know where they go to school, what stores they walk by. They'll know what area they're in, like all of that. They're going to have all of that information. And right now, like, we don't have we don't have that kind of technology like you see in minority report where they're you know connecting with you individually at every kiosk in the mall you walk by but i don't think that that is too far out there and there's already geo targeted yeah. um advertising that can happen based on your ip address and all kinds of things so there's there's a lot of that stuff out there and you really have to have trust in the company that they are making good choices around that. How long they're saving the data for, who they're sharing the data with, and whether or not they're selling it to advertisers, which if if they're collecting it, you can almost guarantee they are, even if it's of your kids. So that's just something to think about and pay attention to. And the, the tragic thing is that it has to be about trust. You have to be able to trust them because there's no other way really to ensure that, you're, that that information is being protected. No, it's absolutely true. And I know that Congress has a couple of pieces of legislation that are designed to heighten the protections that were initially adopted in the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. Um, but because of the economic value, uh, particularly of location information, there's a huge amount of pushback from tech companies. So uh, if a parent is considering getting a smartwatch for their child, they really should do as much research as they as they can into the privacy practices of the company that sells it uh, into any vendors or software providers that work with that company. Because 
you know, a lot of these smartwatches are running third-party apps, which means that the third-party app is conceivably collecting all of that information as well. So there's a, a tremendous risk there for your child. And let me make one other kind of broader point, which is that, you know, the, the challenge of, or one of the balancing factors of the smartwatch is this basically putting your child on this road of data collection. How early do you want that to start? And, you know, for parents, they're, they're thinking to themselves, well, I want communication. I want safety. I want to know where my kid is. To me, as a parent, that's worth it. But that gets into this idea of co-opting your child's digital existence in the sense that you are opening them up to all of this data collection way before they can consciously agree to do so. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, has its own ethical dilemma wrapped in it. Yeah, it really does. And it's something that um, that I think most people don't think anything about and a few people think very little about and (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately generous on the little about (laughs) so i mean i i don't know where to go on that to be honest fred because the convenience of having your child connected and being available in my opinion um is just so easy to say far outweighs any privacy implications that you can think of because everybody's doing it anyway and they're going to do it eventually. So, you know, why not start? But I think you raise a great point that we should at least be thinking about it. No, I appreciate you saying that. And and I absolutely get the trade-offs and I am sure that the vast majority of parents would come to exactly the same conclusion. Um, but I think the answer then is to really draw a line under what you're saying about the trust that you have in the company that you're working with. And that, that is critical. And, and honestly, without being too fanboy about it, um, that's probably one of the ways in which Apple, uh, you know, excels, that they, they are very, very rigorous in terms of their privacy protections and who they work with and how data gets used. So all good things to think about. There is one last point that I want to touch on before we wrap things up, which is that um, just to, slap the New York Times a little bit. They uh, interviewed somebody who was saying basically that one of the great things about these devices is that they have limited capabilities, so on and so forth. And because there are no cameras, there are fewer privacy issues for parents to worry about. I think number one, as a factual matter, that's not correct. A number of the models that I looked at do in fact have cameras. And as you and I have discussed repeatedly, there's capability creep in all of this technology. So more and more of these smartwatches are going to have cameras in them. And, you know, the basic obligation of parents is that if if they're giving a smartwatch to their child with a camera on it, and, you know, one reviewer talked about the adorable selfies that her six year old took. That's great, but you've got to have a conversation about what the appropriate boundaries of camera use are. And you know, we, we've done many shows or had many discussions about the risks of inappropriate photos. Um, it, you know, it'll happen. 
your it, six-year-old and your seven-year-old and your eight-year-old are more than capable of imagining photos that they want to take that they really shouldn't. And yeah. so just be aware that you know this capability is either in the model that you're looking at or it's going to come to one fairly yeah. And, and having those conversations about when it's appropriate, what you should and should not take pictures of getting permission before you take pictures of other people, things like that, that, um, you know, we really don't do a lot of, to be honest, uh, is something that you, you've got to have those conversations. So I think that's a great, great place to end it. Great. Uh, lots for people to think about, but um, yeah, this is this is an ongoing topic. We'll probably have to revisit this next year and get a sense of, of where things have gone since this chat. So good. Yep. All righty. Let me pull up my note here. And as always, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and as we did today, the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guest topic or question suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and we appreciate having you with us and look forward to seeing you next time on the Cybertraps podcast. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's ixl.com slash B-E.